Good morning. I don't know if there's any, uh, know what you call people who know different kind of uh, snakes. I have a picture of a snake. Maybe someone can help me uh, identify the species. That is indeed a coral snake. All right, so somebody here knows snakes. Now, should I be concerned with this snake or not concerned? Yeah, coral snakes are very poisonous. Uh, from what I read about it, it, uh, it has a powerful neurotoxin that paralyzes the breathing muscles. So you actually will stop breathing uh, after you get bitten unless you can get um, an antivenom. Venom. My understanding, there's actually an antivenom for this particular uh, snake. Now, let's say uh, you have uh, a medicine cabinet full of uh, different uh, options. Uh, how would you know? How would you know which one to pick? Read, read the Very good. Yeah, if you go to the next picture. You know, read the labels, and you, you got to be careful what you pick because some things will help you and some things will not help you as you're trying to deal with uh, the venom uh, in your veins. The Bible tells us that there is a similar type of uh, venom in our, name, our veins, uh, and that's the venom of, of sin. Uh, we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And as a result, we come under God's judgment. Now, praise God, there is an anti-venom, or there is a cure for sin, and that cure is the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, Paul came to the regions of Galatia, which is uh, part of uh, modern-day Turkey, and uh, he preached the gospel. He told them, about the Lord Jesus and him dying on the cross for their sins and rising from the dead. And uh, many put their faith in that message and they were saved from their sins. Their lives were changed. They received the Holy Spirit and uh, they demonstrated uh, love uh, to one another and, and uh, all. Uh, there was a, an explosion of the gospel in that area. Now, unfortunately, with the uh, increase of the church, there came in false teachers. False teachers are those who will come into the church. They will usually claim to be uh, Christians themselves, but they will teach doctrines that are not consistent with the gospel. And this was the case. Uh, we call this particular group of false teachers uh, the Judaizers, because they taught Judaism. They came in and they said, yes, we agree with Paul. Uh, sin is a problem. And uh, we uh, support uh, Paul telling you about Jesus. Uh, he is uh, the Messiah God sent. But it's not enough to believe in Jesus. If you want to enjoy God's blessing, if you want to experience uh, true salvation, you need to become a Jew yourself. You have to be circumcised. You have to keep the law of Moses. Now, uh, <coughs> the Bible tells us that, that God did not give us the law to save us from our sins, but to show us our sin. And in fact, the law comes with a curse. 
against those who fail to keep it. And so in a sense, the law could be regarded as the cyanide. It actually kills. The letter kills, Paul tells us in his letter to the Corinthians, but the Spirit gives life. And so Paul wrote this letter to the Galatians, we call it the Epistle to the Galatians, uh, to respond to this particular false teaching that was entering the regions of Galatia. He had to warn them that this uh, potion that was being offered them by the false teachers, the Judaizers, wasn't going to help them. In fact, it was going to hurt them. And uh, we have I've turned another page here in our study. We'll start chapter 5, and we're also starting a new section. So the first section we said was chapters 1 through 2, where Paul chiefly talked about himself. He had to prove to the Galatians that he was a genuine apostle of the Lord Jesus. The reason they should believe the message he brought them is that the Lord Jesus commissioned him, and he came with the true gospel. In chapters 3 through 4, Paul is explaining to them the inner working of the law and of faith and how they make us right with God or don't make us right with God. To me, it's a little bit uh, the illustration of that of going to the doctor's office. The first thing you'll see at the doctor's office will be uh, like a, a diploma, some sort of a graduation. This shows that I am a certified doctor. I went to medical school and I passed. Okay, so that's good. Okay, this is a qualified doctor I'm coming to. Another thing the doctor will often have is uh, like a diagram of the human body. Or if he's a specialist, like an ear, uh, throat, nose specialist, he'll have a diagram of, you know, your ear, nose, throat, all of that inside. The reason they have that is so that they can explain to you what's wrong with you. You come in with some symptom, and the doctor will say, okay, here's the problem. Here's how I will fix it. And to make you feel more comfortable, they'll explain. You know, you see, this is what your body is like, and this is the problem, and this is what I'll do to fix it. In a similar way, that's what Paul did in chapters 3 through 4. He basically explained how it all works and why the law cannot save us while the gospel can. In chapter 5, and for the remainder of our, the letter to the Galatians, Paul will say, well, this is what you now have to do. Right? Problem has been diagnosed, and now we have a solution for you. Right? And the solution we will have in the first section uh, we'll look at today is we have to stand fast in the truth of God, and we have to reject the false teaching, and we have to reject or put out the false teachers. Right? That's in sum up what we will see in today's passage. So turn with me, if you would, to Galatians chapter 5 and verse 1. We'll also have the verses on the screen if you want to just read them over there. Galatians chapter 5. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free. And do not be entangled again with a yoke of bondage. Indeed, I, Paul, say to you that if you become circumcised, Christ will profit you nothing. And I testify again to every man who becomes circumcised that he is dead or to keep the whole law. You have become estranged from Christ. 
you who attempt to be justified by law. You have fallen from grace. For we, through the Spirit, eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but faith working through love. You ran well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion does not come from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in you, in the Lord, that you will have no other mind, but he who troubles you shall bear his judgment, whoever he is. And I, brethren, if I still preach circumcision, why do I still suffer persecution? Then the offense of the cross has ceased. I could wish that those who trouble you would even cut themselves off. Now, I'll confess, I've been having this thing in my throat for the last few weeks, and it's acting up this morning, so please forgive me if my voice kind of goes up and down. Uh, I'm not trying to entertain you. It's uh, just the limitation of the speaker this morning. <clears throat> okay, so first we see uh, that we need to stand in the truth. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free. In Galatians chapter 4, Paul pointed out, out that we are no longer under the law. The Jews were under the law of God and had to obey it as a means of being right with God. They were never able to. The law wasn't given to make them righteous. It was given to show them they could not be righteous, and therefore they needed a savior. But we're told in Galatians chapter 4, verse 4, but when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his son, Jesus, born of a woman born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. Therefore you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. We sing a song sometime where we say that God's love had not its rest until we were with him fully blessed. When God sent the Lord Jesus to die for our sins, he opened the windows of heaven and, and shed on us every possible blessing. And one of those blessings was making us children of God. And so, whereas the Jews were in a sense, now I have nothing against Jews, I'm Jewish myself by heritage, uh, uh, the Jews were in a sense like slaves. They were fearful of God's judgment and had to attempt to keep the law to try to satisfy God so that they would not be punished. Uh, as believers in the Lord Jesus, we have been made children of God. We don't have to fear being cast out of the household of God. Uh, my son will always be my son. He may do something that, that uh, I disagree with and I might discipline him, but he doesn't stop being my son. 
and I don't stop loving him. In the same way, uh, God brought us into his own household. He made us his family, and uh, now we enjoy liberty. We're not afraid that we might do something that would exclude us from God's favor. We know we are always in the center of God's favor. We want to be pleasing children, like I hope my children want to please me, uh, and the, my relationship with my children is always much better uh, when they seek to do things that please me, but, uh, but we have the assurance that God loves us and always will love us because now we are his sons. And because of that, he gave us the Holy Spirit crying out in our heart, Abba, Father. We return love to God. He placed his spirit in us that gives us that same yearning to him that children have toward their parents, right? My children uh, love me, and that's because they are my children. And we love God now because we, ha we are God's children. So that is our liberty, right? And what Paul is telling the Galatians, stand faster for in the liberty by which Christ has made us free. Now, when I was in Berkeley, I went to school in Berkeley, uh, there were some interesting characters around campus. And one of them uh, would go out and he would cry out as loud as he, ca as he could, uh, something like, Yesh Yahuwah! And, you know, I kind of ignored him before I became a Christian. I just figured he's one of these crazy people. But then after becoming a believer, I realized, you know, he's shouting something similar to the Hebrew name of Jesus. So I said, you know, why, why are you saying that name? And uh, he started uh, telling me that he believed in Jesus. Now he used this other name. And, uh, and that, yeah, people need to, to believe in Jesus. And I said, well, I do too. You know, praise God, you know. And he said, well, you know, what name were you baptized by? And I said, well, I was baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's the most common. There are some variations on that. I'm not saying you have to be baptized exactly with that formula. Um, he says, well, then you're not a Christian. You're not really saved. Because you must be baptized in the name of Yeshua, whichever way you pronounce. The correct pronunciation of Jesus' name in Hebrew, by the way, is Yeshua. Right? So, you know, I was always struggling a little bit with his pronunciation. But uh, he said, you know, God said we must be baptized in the name of Jesus. Well, What's in it? It's not Jesus, right? The original is, you know, he had his way of pronouncing it. And, uh, but what I realized he, it was, was wrong with what he was saying is he was placing, saying that in order to be saved, I must be baptized in a particular way, right? Which means I was in some way contributing to my salvation with my baptism. Right? Now, we teach... Uh, the scripture teaches that we should be baptized. When a person puts their faith in Christ, God does tell them they should be baptized. But our salvation does not depend on our baptism. Right? The thief on the cross had no opportunity to be baptized. But when he puts his faith in Christ, Jesus said to him, this day you will be with me 
in paradise. No baptism necessary. Right? And so there's no baptism necessary for us. You should be baptized, but uh, your salvation doesn't depend on it. Certainly the way you pronounce Jesus' name will not affect right, the validity of your baptism. There's many other uh, cults that find something to add uh, to your salvation. Seventh-day Adventists, uh, you ask them, well, why are you called Seventh-day Adventists? They'll say, well, we believe that we should worship God on the seventh day, which, by the way, is Saturday, not Sunday. Sunday is the first day of the week. Saturday is the seventh day of the week. Well, why do you believe that? Well, because of the Ten Commandments, right? You have the list of the Ten Commandments, and one of them is you shall keep, you know, the Sabbath day holy. Well, okay, which is a Sabbath day? Well, it's Saturday, not Sunday. Well, the problem is they're resurrecting the Ten Commandments, and they're saying we must keep the Ten Commandments in order to be saved. Right? And Paul tells us here, do not be entangled again with a yoke of bondage. Stand fast in the liberty by which Christ has made us free. He, he made us sons of God. Our relationship with God does not depend on law-keeping. Yes, we should try to please God as children, want to please their father, but not as a condition for our relationship. Okay, stand fast, therefore, in the truth. Then Paul uh, instructs them to reject the false teaching of the Judaizers. Indeed, I, Paul, say to you that if you become circumcised, Christ will profit you nothing. <clears throat> so the Judaizers' first commandment to the, um, to the Galatians was to be circumcised. Why did they say that they need to be circumcised? So circumcision was a mark of God's covenant with Abraham. Abraham was the first to receive the instruction to be circumcised. And God did tell Abraham, this will be a mark of my covenant with you. God had a covenant with Abraham, and he told Abraham to circumcise his descendants. Who are Abraham's descendants? Isaac was. Jacob. Right? And really the Jewish people. Right? So the Jewish people could say that they need to follow the command and circumcise their children. Nowhere did God command it to go outside of the Jewish people, except in the law of Moses. This is what it says in the law of Moses. Exodus 12, verse 48. And when a stranger dwells with you and wants to keep the Passover to the Lord, let all his males be circumcised, and then let him come near and keep it. And he shall be as a native of the land, for no uncircumcised person shall eat it. So what God was telling here, Moses, if there is a Gentile who wants to enter uh, the Jewish rites that are part of the law of Moses, right? They need to first be circumcised. So the Judaizers were using it toward the Gentiles who believed in Jesus. You guys are trying to enter in. You guys want to have some of our blessing as Jews. You have to be circumcised in order to have it. The problem is this was just related to the covenant God had with Abraham that related to the law of Moses, 
right, which really just enters you to the blessings and cursings associated with the law, which doesn't help you, right? That's that bottle of cyanide. Yes, if you want to uh, be justified by keeping the law of Moses, if you are ready to come before God and say, I am ready to keep all 613 commandments, you know, every day perfectly, then be circumcised, right? But uh, if you are looking to the Lord Jesus and what the Lord Jesus did for you as a means of salvation, then your circumcision is not going to help you. All right, more specifically, uh, Paul is giving here five reasons. I, I kind of summarized them, but let me list them. Five reasons of why the Galatians should not be circumcised. <coughs> the first one, he says, Christ will profit you nothing. This is an illustration. I have here a, a picture of a... I think this is what they throw to you from a boat, right? If you, if you sink at sea and a boat comes to save you while you're you know, doing your best to stay afloat, they'll send you one of those things, throw one of these things to you, and you can hold on to it, and they'll, they'll pull you into the boat. But let's say, you know, somebody threw me one of those, and I'm like, no, 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 I don't need that. I can swim. It's true, you know, I'm about a thousand miles from land, but I can swim, and I don't need the help. Well, that's effectively what a person was doing when they, when they became circumcised. They're saying, I am ready to do this on my own. I don't need the help that Jesus provided by dying on the cross for my sins. I'm a good person, and, and I can do good things. I, I, can, I can please God with my own goodness. I don't need Jesus, right? That's effectively what you're saying, and that's why Paul says, uh, if you become circumcised, Christ will profit you nothing. Well, fine, swim, right? At that case, you've just lost the help that Jesus was offering you. You have to choose. Are you going to make it on your own? Fine. Or do you need Jesus to make you right with God? Second thing Paul says, and I testify again to every man who becomes circumcised that he is dead to keep the whole law. And uh, this makes sense. Again, you can't just say, tell God, okay, I'm going to keep commandments, you know, one, two, and three, and... Uh, I'm going to ignore the other 613 commandments, but I want you to still let me into heaven because I kept one, two, and three. Right? I mean, that's falling way below standard. So if you become circumcised, circumcised, fine, but now you have to keep the whole law, not just the law to be circumcised. Third, Paul said, and I, uh, you have become estranged from Christ, you who attempt to be justified by law, you have fallen from grace. What is grace? Well, grace is God's uh, free gift to us. That's something that you don't deserve. Uh, if I was to come to you and give you a gift, then you'll acknowledge, well, well I didn't do anything to deserve it. Right? That's by definition what a gift is. Now, let's say you paid for it. Let's say you gave me $20. No, would you go to the store and get me a gift? Sure. I bring it to you. Is it a gift? No. You paid for it. Right? So what, <coughs> what Paul is saying here, you have fallen from grace, you are now trying to earn it. God is offering you salvation for free, and you're, you're telling God, no, thank you, I want to pay for it. 
So you have fallen from grace. God's offering it for free, but now I have all these good works I want to do to earn my salvation. You have fallen from grace. Fourth, uh, you, you will be departing from the example of the apostles and the signs of the Spirit. He says, For we through the Spirit eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. I, I could sympathize with the Gentiles that were receiving this message. Paul came to them with the gospel, and now these other uh, Jews come to them and say, no, 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 you misunderstood the message that Paul was trying to give you. What he meant is you can believe in Jesus after you become Jewish, right? And they could say, you know, which one uh, is the truth? Well, Paul is pointing us uh, back to the apostles of the Lord Jesus. They had to deal with the same uh, problem. We could uh, look at Acts 15, uh, for example. It says in verse 5 of Acts 15, uh, But some of the sect of the Pharisees who believed rose up saying, It is necessary to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. So this is not new, right? The problem the Galatians are having, uh, it already came up. It was already uh, dealt with. Verse 6, Now the apostles and elders came together to consider this matter. They had to discuss, well, do, do the Gentiles need to be circumcised and keep the law of Moses in order to be saved? That's the question that the council is, is going to consider. And when there had been much dispute, Peter rose up and said to them, men and brethren, you know that a good while ago God chose among us that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. So Peter is recalling a previous encounter he had with Gentiles. He came and he, he preached the gospel to them. They believed. So God, who knows the heart, acknowledged them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us and made no distinction between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. Perhaps Peter would have had some doubts. I preached the gospel. The Gentiles believe. Uh, well, you know, is that good enough, or do I also need to convert them to Judaism? Well, God took care of that question by giving them the Holy Spirit. And as Peter was preaching to them, they started speaking in tongues as a demonstration that they received the Holy Spirit, as a demonstration that they were saved. Right? So God demonstrated that all the Gentiles had to do was believe the gospel. They did not have to become Jews. Now, therefore, why do you... So this is now Peter speaking to uh, those who were arguing that the Gentiles had to become Jews in order to be saved. Now, therefore, why do you test God by putting a yoke on the neck of the disciples which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear. But we, talking about Peter, Paul, all the apostles, we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved in the same manner as they. Uh, Peter, Paul, the other apostles were all Jews, 
They put no confidence in their Judaism, their law-keeping, their heritage to make them right with God. They put confidence only in Jesus and what Jesus did for them. Right? And so Paul can say that, that the Galatians uh, would be forsaking that example. If they all of a sudden went back to the law, they're ignoring the example of the apostles, and they would also be ignoring the leading of the Holy Spirit. God marked faith with the Holy Spirit. When people believed, the Galatians themselves, it was when they believed the gospel that the Holy Spirit was given to them. Their lives were transformed. Right? Even today, when people put their faith in Jesus, their lives are changed as a demonstration that they are saved by faith, not by keeping the law. Okay, that was number four. Number five, for in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but faith working through love. The point there is that uh, circumcision gives us no advantage in living the Christian life. It doesn't help. Uh, I, I was circumcised, you know, on the eighth day. Uh, you may not have been circumcised. It gives me no advantage compared to you when it comes to living the Christian life. There's only two things uh, Paul says that are critical for living the Christian life. The first one is faith, trusting in God and his promises. And the second is love. Love matters for the Christian life. And the love, we were uh, worshiping the Lord this morning for his love for us. And we said that we love because he first loved us. And so when you believe the gospel, you believe how much God loved you. For God so loved the world, put your name in there, that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. All right, so... God loved us, and because of that, we love him, and because of that, we love others, too. Right? The Christian life should be characterized by love. Circumcision wasn't helping. Right? They, it was leading them to trust in their own acts of righteousness instead of in God. It was causing them to be self-focused instead of other-focused. So it was really countering living the Christian life as God wanted them to. Okay, the third major point here that I mentioned is you have to reject the false teachers. Now, we don't like to do that, right? If somebody walks through that door, they're friendly, they're shaking their, our hands, they want to join us, and then after a meeting or two, they start uh, sharing things with us that are not from the Bible. And they will say, you know, God wants you to do this and to do that. And we recognize, you know, this person is not teaching the truth. They're not teaching what God has in the Bible. And, and we have to make a difficult uh, choice. What do we do with this person that came through our door? We want to be welcoming, right? We want to make everybody feel loved. But what Paul is telling the Galatians here, these teachers need to be put out. They can't be allowed to continue to teach in your churches. 
and uh, we've had to, to make that difficult call here at Calvary Bible Chapel where we had people who came and persisted in teaching something that we knew wasn't what God uh, had in the Bible and we had to ask them to leave. You know, we're sorry, but uh, you're not welcome here. It's a, it's a difficult move. And uh, Paul gives here six reasons why that needed to happen in the case of the false teachers in Galatia. Uh, first, <clears throat> their effect, their effect on the church. He said, you ran well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? The Galatians ran well. They, they trusted in Christ. Uh, they were changed. Their lives were changed. They were showing love to others. They were running well the Christian life. The false teachers came in, and it seems like the church just went down the tube. And we'll see it more clearly as we continue in this practical section of the letter. But the Galatians were no longer showing love to each other. Paul had to warn them against biting and devouring one another. It's like, what? A church where people are behaving like that toward each other? It was the impact of the false teachers in Galatia. Matthew warns us against, sorry, uh, Jesus warns us against, against false teachers in Matthew chapter 7, verse 15. He says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inward, inwardly they are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Now, every previous time I taught this verse, uh, I was uh, focused on the fruits in their lives. You will know them by their fruits. How do you know false teachers? Uh, you know them because their lives are not consistent with the teachings of the Bible. That's the fruits. Their lives are not showing uh, the reality of God in their lives. Well, another fruit that false teachers will have is their impact on others. Is this person uh, impact positive on the church? When the person came and started uh, sharing with others, are others encouraged? Are they built up uh, in their faith? Are they growing in love? Right? Those would be good fruits <laughs> from a teacher. Uh, but that was not the case with the Judaizers at the churches of Galatia. They were having a negative impact on the church, and therefore they needed to be put out. Second is uh, their motivation. What was the motivation of these false teachers in Galatia? How does that compare to the motivation a, a true teacher should have? Well, their, their motivation was that of ravenous wolves. They came not to help the sheep, but to get out of the sheep what they could. Uh, they, they wanted to get fame and glory. They wanted the Galatians to be zealous for them. They wanted to be carried on the shoulders of the people as like, look at these great teachers and uh, you know, how wonderful they are. That's what they wanted out of the Galatians. What is it that a true teacher should desire? We have an example for that in John uh, 21. This is Jesus' encounter with Peter after Jesus' resurrection. If you remember, Peter 
uh, denied the Lord three times after the Lord was arrested. And, um, and Peter, because of it, was very discouraged in himself. This is in his meeting with the Lord in John chapter 21, verse 15. So when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? Jesus will give Peter three times an opportunity to affirm his love and commitment to Jesus in this passage, just like he denied him three times. Peter said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And then Jesus three times will tell Peter what he ought to do with that love. What should you do, Peter, with your love to the Lord? He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him again the second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. We were singing about the church at the beginning of uh, the message. And the church is very precious to the Lord Jesus. He died for the soul of each and every one of you. You're precious to him. And uh, a true teacher is one who loves the Lord Jesus. And because the love that the Lord Jesus has for his sheep, he will seek their welfare. He will feed them. He will tend to them. Why? Out of love for the Lord Jesus. And so Paul says, this persuasion does not come from him who calls you. The teaching of the Judaizers was not from the Lord Jesus. They were self-seeking. One who, uh, who loves the Lord Jesus and seek the well-being of the sheep because of the, his love to the Lord Jesus, that would be <coughs> the mark of a true apostle or a true teacher. Third, their, the infectious tendency of their doctrine. That's another reason they should be Put out of the church. Someone might have said, well, so what? You know, there's just a few Judaizers in all of Galatia. There's thousands of us other believers. What's the harm of letting them stay in the church? Uh, what's the harm of letting them continue to teach in the church? There's so few of them and uh, so many of us. What's the answer? In uh, 2 Timothy 2, Paul warns Timothy, saying, But shun profane and idle babblings, for they will increase to more ungodliness, and their message will spread like cancer. Like cancer. False teaching spread like cancer. How many cells of cancer would you be okay with in your body? Would you be okay with, with just one? No because of the effect it will have over time over the entire body. In the same way, the uh, false teachers, the Judaizers, even if they, they started just a few of them, the message was going to spread in the church. And so Paul said to them, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. You don't want to keep any of it inside the church. 
Then he continues saying, I have confidence in you, in the Lord, that you will have no other mind, but he who troubles you shall bear his judgment, whoever he is. The fourth reason, they should be put out of the church, is we don't uh, want to share in their guilt by giving them a cover under which to teach. It says that God will judge the false teachers. In, uh, in Second John, we are told, uh, whoever transgresses and does not abide in the doctrine of Christ does not have God. He who abides in the doctrine of Christ has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you, and does not bring this doctrine, do not receive him into your house, nor greet him. For he who greets him shares in his evil deeds. Uh, I imagine in those days, churches often met in people's houses, and uh, someone would come knocking on the door and say, uh, I'd like to come. I have a message for the people who are gathering in your house, a message from God. And you say, sure, come on in. And that person proceeds and teaches uh, false doctrines, as a result of which people will stumble in their faith in Christ. God will judge the false teacher, but he will also judge you because you were allowing that person to do. You provided a platform for them to speak from. Once you know they're a false teacher and you're allowing them to continue to do it, you're now sharing in their guilt. And so the Galatians would be guilty of sharing in the guilt of these false teachers if they allow them to continue to come and to continue to teach in their churches. Reason number uh, five, the false teachers were self-seeking. Paul says, and I, brethren, if I still preach circumcision, why do I still suffer persecution? Then the offense of the cross has ceased. Why does the offense of the cross cease when we preach circumcision? Well, because we're telling people you're not that bad. Right? There are certain things you can do to make yourself right with God. And people much prefer that message to saying, you are so bad, there is nothing you can do to save yourself. But praise God, he sent the Lord Jesus to die for your sin. And so now you and everybody else can be saved. People don't like that message because it tells them that there's nothing good in them, right? And that results in persecution. Well, because of that, the Judaizers avoided that doctrine, and they said, well, you have all these good works you can do that will help you get to heaven. And the other Jews had no issues with that. Well, you want to believe in Jesus, that's fine, as long as you're saying Judaism is still necessary for your salvation, we have no problems with you. But if you're saying a, a Gentile, someone who's doing nothing to please God by keeping the law can be saved and go to heaven, we find that quite offensive. Right? So the Judaizers alter the message to serve their own goals. And you don't want someone who will change their message. Right? If you have a person who's, who's teaching God's word, but they will change their message depending on who walks in the door, because they don't want to offend them, their teaching is not reliable. 
right? If our teaching is from God, it shouldn't depend on who walks through that door. We should be able to continue teaching the same message. Number six and last, they don't belong in the church. We should put the false teachers out because they don't belong in the church. Paul said, I could wish that those who trouble you would even cut themselves off. Paul would have no issue with the false teachers if they were just Jews preaching in a synagogue and telling people in the synagogues to keep the law. Maybe that will do some good because as they try to keep the law, they'll realize that they can't and that they need a savior. But these false teachers were claiming to be Christians and going where the gospel has already gone and saying the gospel is not enough. You have to also keep the law. And Paul says, these people do not belong in the church. They're not Christians. They're not believers. They're not followers of the Lord Jesus. Okay. What applications can we make for ourselves ourselves in uh, this passage? How do we deal with false teaching? I was uh, thinking of a sticker that I saw on a car the other day, and you guys probably have seen similar pictures. Um, it says coexist, but uh, it, uh, it uh, mixes different uh, symbols of uh, different belief systems into uh, the word coexist, as I'm sure you guys can identify. And, uh, you know, I could understand uh, nobody wants uh, to be uh, persecuted for what they believe, uh, and we shouldn't be uh, forcing the gospel uh, down uh, anybody's throat. Uh, but uh, the problem is this suggests that it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what you believe, right? And the problem I have with that is kind of with that cabinet. Let's say you were bitten by a, a serpent, and I said, it doesn't matter which one you pick. <laughs> They're all good. They're all going to help you. Well, I, won't, I wouldn't be telling you the truth. I wouldn't be telling you the truth. And uh, if you want to go back to that sticker, you know, if I told you, it doesn't matter what you believe, it's all good, you know, I'm not telling you the truth. And uh, I'm also not showing you love, right? Because... I'm saying, you know, you can believe in any of those things and it will do you absolutely no harm. That's not true. There's uh, a lot of things people believe that, that will harm them. And the main reason people like this kind of sticker is they want to be left alone. They, they don't want anybody to tell them what to do. And they don't feel they need to tell anybody else what to do. And they say, this is the way we should all live our lives. Well, that's not love because really it's self-motivated. Right? Yes, you love yourself. You don't want anybody to bother you. And the truth is you don't really care about other people, and so you don't care what they're doing. But that's not love. Right? Love is seeking to do what's best for another person no matter what the consequences are to yourself. Love is being willing to do what's ever best for the other person no matter but the consequence for yourself. And that's not what that is, right? First uh, Timothy chapter 2 tells us, Therefore I exhort, first of all, 
that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men. What should we do to start with? You should pray, right? If you know someone who uh, believes in any of those other things, a good place to start is uh, praying for them. For kings and all who are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. God wants everybody to be saved. And that should be my desire for anybody that's out there. Nothing short of all of God's blessings for them. But there is truth. And to come to the knowledge of the truth. There is truth. It's not true that all roads lead to heaven. Verse 5. For there is one God, only one, and one mediator, only one, between God and men. The man, Christ Jesus. You know, no other religion has a savior. No other religion has a savior. Lots of religions out there, and they all have systems of laws you can keep that will somehow increase the probability that you'll go to heaven. None of them assures you you'll go to heaven, but they'll give you a list of rules to follow. Not one of them offers a savior. Not one of them says that you cannot do it on your own power, but there is one person who will get you there. Christianity is the only religion that teaches that. The Bible is the only message that includes that. For there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all. We were talking about liberty. Liberty we associate with freedom. We think perhaps of slaves. And uh, you could have, if we still had slavery today, uh, you could have gone to the auction block where the slaves were being sold, and you could have obtained the sum necessary to purchase that slave, and you could have given it to the slave owner, and now you had the paperwork saying you own that slave, and you could give it to the slave and say, you are free. And that is what God did with you and me. We owed a debt we could not pay. We owed God the penalty for our sin, and Jesus paid it all, and he gave the certificate to you and me, paid in full. And so now we have liberty, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. Well, you've heard it testified today, and if you haven't yet put your trust in the Lord Jesus for what he did for you on the cross, I invite you to do that today. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your good goodness to us. We thank you for the Lord Jesus who uh, gave himself as a ransom for all that we could all be saved. Lord, we pray for anybody here who hasn't yet trusted in you. Perhaps, Lord, they haven't gotten to the point of seeing themselves as the sinner that Jesus died for. We pray that you help them come to that point and come to it today. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.